welcome to Check the Program, a podcast by four sometimes arts journalists who saw a desperate need for arts coverage and decided to do something about it. I'm Sarah Petrescu. I'm Melanie Trump-Hooper. I'm Amanda Farrell-Lowe. And I'm John Threlfall. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about Langham Court's production of Goodnight Mr. Tom, uh, Phoenix Theatre's production of The Drowsy Chaperone, and the Belfry Theatre's production of Mustard. We're also going to hear from Impulse Theatre's Andrew Barrett, about the upcoming Peak Fest. And before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that Victoria occupies the traditional territories of the Lekongan-speaking and Coast Salish peoples, including what is now known as the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. As settler people, we have the privilege to live, work, and create on these lands. And much of the art that we are discussing has also been created and performed here. Let's get started. Yeah, so you, uh, Amanda, you went to uh, Langham Court this week? Yeah, I did. I went over to Langham Court to check out their production of Goodnight, Mr. Tom. It's a uh, drama set in uh, during the sec- early days of the Second World War in England. It's based on a children's book <laughs> what, that has also been turned into a film. So it's about a, it's not about the battle, like the battles though, it's not about the war front, it's about back home. So it's about this young boy uh, who's from England, or from London, who gets sent out to the countryside to stay with uh, this guy, Mr. Tom, Tom Oakley, and he's this curmudgeonly old man, and uh, these kids were kind of like forced to leave home, and the people didn't really have much of a choice in taking them in, so they're kind of this... Uh, unlikely couple, couple, and the young guy, the young boy, William Beach, in this production, he was played by uh, Caius Monroe. Um, he is obviously a very introverted and shy and has suffered some trauma in his life. And it's kind of about their blossoming relationship and, you know, kind of with the backdrop of all these, you know, horrible things happening during the Second World War in England. Uh, yeah, it was, I really liked this production. I felt like story-wise, you know, it's, it's got the emotional roller coaster and, you know, the somewhat happy resolution at the end. Uh, and it did feel like a kid's book. Um, and I, I was a little bit, some alarm bells were going off when I was reading the program notes and everyone's talking about what a difficult production it was. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's not good. But uh, obviously a challenging uh, production in that uh, there are dozens of scene changes. Mm. Like there were so many, I'd say like 20 and wow. Wow. a large number of locations, I'd say close to ten, almost 10 different places where scenes were. And some of the scenes were very short. And so like what a huge job mm-hmm. to have to transition between those two. And it could have totally slowed down the play. But it didn't, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about why later. And it had, you know, the two, what it, what was it, never perform with children or, or <laughs> children pets? Children and pets, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was play, had them both. Oh, great. <laughs> um, but they, uh, they handled it. It was excellent. So the set, I wanted to talk about Bill Adams' set because it was one of the stars of the show. At first when I sat down, I, I often like his sets at Langham. And it's very bare bones. Like it's like a, a scrim in the back with some projections and then just some set, some small minimal set pieces. And it was kind of like, oh, okay. And then you understand why, because there's so many scene changes. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of built this two level set. There's kind of a layer in the back that's just r- risen up a little bit. And then a layer in the front that's lower down. And uh, he, his set and uh, director, Shauna Baird, 
direction just work together so well to make this play smooth, go very, very smoothly. And kudos to the whole ensemble cast who had to like remember where everything went and like the transitions were probably as much work as the roles themselves, I imagine. Uh, so it clipped along really nicely. And uh, in order to, one of the main characters in the play is actually a dog named Sammy. What? Uh, <laughs> and it was uh, performed by this young guy named Nathan Corpus, uh, was the puppeteer. And uh, his bio in the program said he'd never been a puppeteer before. He was great. The so, audience loved him. So they have... So the dog's a puppet? Yeah. I almost don't want to describe it too much oh, okay. because it's okay. kind of a delight when they when they first come on stage and you okay. see it. Uh, but you can see both the puppeteer and the puppet on stage at the same time and see him like making the barking noises and, you know, moving, the, manipulating the puppet and stuff. And it, he was really, really great. So no live animals. No live animals. Okay. Uh, but, uh, and the kids were great. There were mm -hmm. uh, kind of two lead young actors that William Beach's role, who was played by Kais Monroe and the role of Zach, who was at this production done by Gabriel White. Those two roles switch every night, so mm -hmm. it depends which night you're going. Um, yeah, they were both both strong. I felt like Zach, uh, Gabriel White, was he was a standout. He was like he played he plays a more boisterous character, mm -hmm. but Zach is just this really flamboyant, energetic kid who befriends uh, William, uh, and who's also a evacuee. Uh, anyway, so I really, really loved it. The whole cast was solid. Um, the ma the lead was Tom Oakley. Mr. Tom was played by Roger Carr, who's always oh, great. Oh, sure. Like he's yeah. he's uh, always a pleasure to watch on stage, and he does a really good job of the like you know kind of like curmudgeonly but secretly warm-hearted man. Uh, yeah, and I really enjoyed the show. It's worth going just to see how they do it. Mm -hmm. Like it's uh, I was very impressed by the direction, by the set by the puppets and uh you know a good time of year to go mm -hmm. uh and it's always nice to see a you know wartime play that's not about the battlefront mm -hmm. like you mm -hmm. know what people were going through back home so uh yeah it runs till november 24th at langham court and i would highly recommend it mm -hmm. i enjoyed it more than i thought i would excellent also great is uh i would say the drowsy chaperone up at uh, phoenix uh, I'll throw a disclaimer out here. Uh, my current job is working for the Faculty of Fine Arts, of which the Department of Theatre at UVic is part of. Um, so it's, you know, I shouldn't necessarily be saying, what a great show, go see it. But you know what? It's a great show. And people should go see it. <laughs> You're not the only one. Yeah, 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 no, 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 exactly. And it's pretty universally being hailed right now by everyone who's doing reviews in town. Uh, it is a very strong production. It's the kind of show Phoenix does so well because uh, it's a big show and it needs a big presence on stage. Mm -hmm. It needs a big cast, it needs big sets, and it needs big costumes. And fortunately, all of those things mm -hmm. deliver big time in this production. Uh, it's a very good show if people know it or not. Uh, it's sort of a, a love letter to a specific kind of musical, the 1920s kooky American musical. Uh, and it's, uh, it's both an homage and a send-up of those musicals as well. Uh, what changes it from being just uh, another musical, though, is the metatheatrical quality of it. The fourth wall just disintegrates right away, like right off the top of the show. The central character is uh, unnamed. He's called the man in the chair. And he uh, is basically sitting in his dingy little apartment, and he wants to play you his favorite musical, which is this old, scratchy record called The Drowsy Chaperone. And as he plays this on the turntable, the musical comes to life around him. 
the man in the chair played here really well by uh, Douglas Peerless, a young actor who is fantastic in the role. Man in the chair can be played straight for laughs or a good director like Jacques LeMay here, who's uh, leading the show, uh, has managed to find the tragedy and the sadness in that character as well, which really shifts it from being just a fun comedy. It's got this really strong emotional core going on, thanks to Doug Peerless's performance. Um, Jacques LeMay, he choreographed the production that Langham Court did of Jar Jar Chaperone back in 2012. Uh, here he takes on full duties of both directing and choreographing. Um, Brian Kenny's sets are fantastic. You know, things fly up, things slide in, brightly colored, surprising. There's a couple of things that happen. I'm not going to tell you what happened because there's a couple of real surprises that happen on stage that you just don't want to spoil. Uh, Graham McMonagall continues a streak of great costumes. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nancy Curry uh, deserves a note, too, as the vocal coach and the music supervisor. There's no live band for this production, so they're working to a full orchestral recording of the show, which can be really hard to do in a musical because mm -hmm. you can't speed it up or slow it down. Mm -hmm. So if you get off time, you're kind of screwed. Uh, and I was, I was worried about that. But it, uh, they pulled it all off. It was really good. So I'm sure this will end up selling out because it's just getting such great buzz. Mm -hmm. And it really is so much fun. Um, opening night, I went with a couple of people and the people next to me said, oh, I'm going to go buy tickets right away. And, you know, much like on Yegan, people were buying tickets right off the top to see it again. Oh, wow. mm. So, yeah. If you've never seen it, it's a good chance to see a Canadian-made musical that mm -hmm. ended up winning five Tony Awards. Very rare that that happens on mm -hmm. Broadway. So... Uh, Dresden Chaperone, and that runs till November the 24th up at the Phoenix. And uh, what we have, everyone except me went to mustard. Everyone except me went to mustard. Do we have three <laughs> different opinions? opinions? <laughs> like if the whole town has different opinions. Can yeah. you remember a show in recent memory that has divided people so much? Like, uh, it seems like people either really like the show or they absolutely yeah. hate this show. Yeah, and I wonder, well, let's give a, a short recap on the premise mm -hmm. um so muster by cat sandler young youngish canadian playwright uh centers around a young girl named ty teenager who has an imaginary friend um named mustard who lives under her bed who is a grown man mm -hmm. in a jester's costume <laughs> Who looks like Will Ferrell. Who looks like Will Ferrell. And totally also, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Loves yeah, yeah. yeah. Buddy the Elf underneath her bed. Totally, yeah. totally. Another with, yeah, a film where a man is a man-child. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, so, and uh, who else? She looks like her father and has a mother who is depressed and suicidal, going through a divorce who all of a sudden uh, can see this uh, imaginary character and they become friends and they even start to hook up a bit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was really fun and funny. Um, I feel like there's a bit of a generational divide. I would agree with that completely. <laughs> yes. I think that's where a lot of the conflict comes from. I yeah. notice a lot of people are like, there's so much swearing mm -hmm. and potty talk. And, and blood. And, and blood. And, yeah. and a real vicious streak that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But as the parent of a three-year-old, I can say that's completely appropriate for that age. <laughs> <laughs> lots of poop talk, lots of swearing, yeah. lots of blood, you know, little bit of violence innocent <laughs> violence i don't know like the loving spooky things mm -hmm. and you actually don't see that kind of raw youthful mm. 
thing in theater. It's usually sort of played down, watered down or yeah. overthought. And that's why I thought it was kind of fun. It was a little bit, uh, I don't know what the word is. Melodramatic, shocking in some scenes. Like I, we're not used to that on the Belfry stage. Yeah. Have, you know, having blood dripping from a character's mouth, like that's mm-hmm. really kind of shocking for the Belfry. Yeah. And certainly the night I saw it, people in the audience were like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. what's going on?" I thought this yeah. was a comedy. Yeah. Well, then you get a little flash of naked ass. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah there was a full naked mouth. <laughs> it was really up and down. Like, it was very funny when it was funny. Yeah. And then other parts, it was like, what is going on mm-hmm. here? It got a bit manic in places, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, the playwright, Kat Sandler, said up front that she was writing for the Netflix generation, which I thought was an interesting comment, mm. uh, which is absolutely not the Belfry's core demographic. Uh, so I think it's it is like you say it's a show that's sort of splitting people down the center. If mm-hmm. we had had an audience full of twenty somethings there, I bet they would have loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was not the audience I saw it with. Uh, we get uh, prescription drug abuse. We get teen pregnancy. pregnancy yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, torture, uh, escalating teen violence. Yeah. Uh, 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 absent father. Um, domestic violence. Like, there's all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff in here, but it's being, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it was promoted as a comedy. Yeah, like this, <laughs> yeah, not goofball, blah, blah, Yeah, and, like, yeah, really, like, quite opaque its description. And, uh, yeah. yeah, none of that, none That's of what true. you just listed off yeah. comes in. Yeah, I do wonder about, about that. It. But that said, uh, the performances were, I think, roundly good. Mm-hmm. Um, the chap who plays mustard, Andrew yeah. McNeil. He was in Onegan. He was in Onegan. I loved him in Onegan. <laughs> and I thought he was very good in this Me as too. well. I think very few people could do that role well and not come across like totally shrill and and um, over the top. And yeah. he because it's an over the top character, and yet yeah. he managed to make it make mustard oddly lovable in yeah. all of his weirdness. Yeah. So. The set design from Kevin McAllister was really amazing, too. It was a very, it was a... very surprising set design. Mm-hmm. And right off the top, it looked very kind of sitcom-y, uh, but then it unfolded in, you know, you know, very sort of magically realistic ways. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah, there were some great little surprises with the set, especially when it kind of took that dark, um, and the, the dark place, uh, underworld yeah. tone to it. Mm-hmm. It was like, ooh. You know, creepy. director Stephen Drover, I think he does a really good job with the material he's got, and he gets good performance out of his, mm-hmm. performances out of his actors. Um, if there's a problem with the show, I think it's more the script. Uh, I think there, I felt there was a lot of unresolved issues and a lot of characters that were put out there who had... Uh, you know, the central issues around those characters that, you know, here's what your character's inherent problem is. Uh, but those weren't really resolved at the end of the no. play. And maybe that wasn't short. the intention, you know. an hour and a half. No mm-hmm. intermission. No intermission yeah. for the Netflix generation. Yeah. <laughs> but um, maybe that maybe that generation also does not want a quick resolution to these long-standing problems. That's true. You know. There's just so many long-standing problems. That's yeah. what I... Yeah, like it, and it kind of handled some of the mental health pieces. I felt quite lightly, given Very that lightly. it was not, you know, yes, and pick one or two of those, yes, and not that there needs to be a resolution, but a little bit more, I guess, depth, yeah, around mm-hmm. some of them where it just kind of lightning shuttled through mm-hmm. the whole litany of of um, yeah issues that you mentioned, and yeah. we just kind of touched them and then ran on to the next. Yeah, it it might have turned off a few people. I mean, it was weird. It was different. I think of it as sort of the counterpart to the safe favorites mm-hmm. you know at the belfry hitting the boomer crowd you know it's uh, a little bit i like having a bit of an a wild card show mm-hmm. in a season yep i mean i don't know what's i i haven't heard much about 
um, several of the things that are in this season coming up, which I'm excited about. So, um, yeah, we'll see. No, no, I, I credit Michael Schmata for programming it, for giving mm. uh, a young female playwright in Canada the chance to have exposure on a national professional stage. I think that's really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did admire the casting of the show. I thought it was quite well cast as well. Uh, the young boyfriend, I thought he was quite fun. Uh, he brought a lot of life to the show as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was a funny show. But, you know, uh, on the whole, I, I don't know. I don't think we hated it as much as some people in town hated it. Uh, Monday Mag's reviewer just hated it. Said that if there had been an intermission, she would have walked out. Uh, TC's reviewer didn't like it. Uh, CBC's yeah, reviewer didn't like oh, it. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Nobody liked it. <laughs> but, I did. Yeah, so, you I know, like but it. I and I, I felt again, like like, the audience. But how old are all those reviewers? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it is a generational shift. I think it that. is. Yeah, yeah, and there's a certain expectation of how what theater is supposed to be, yep. and mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think maybe there's a lot of things that if you go to to see plays that have sort of different references that younger generations don't get at all. Yeah. So mm-hmm. especially. I mean, how many plays are about World War II, the Second World War? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah, we talked about that Victoria, last time, you know, like your like, son not understanding. Exactly. So many different history. references. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, how many are about, like, people aging and getting, you know, having issues with memory mm-hmm. or death, they're yeah. dying, and it's like, they're, I mean, those are wonderful, important theatrical topics, but it's, yeah. it's good to get outside the box. Nice. Nice. Well, speaking of opening yourself up to new works, we've, uh, Melanie, you talked to Andrew Barrett yep. at Impulse Theatre about Peakfest. I did, yeah. I had a chance to sit down with Andrew. He's the artistic director of Impulse Theatre, as well as the founder of Peakfest. And, and Peakfest is really, it's a festival for new emerging work uh, and for performers to workshop and, and learn. Uh, and it runs next week, actually, from November 21st to the 25th. It's the second year for Peakfest. Um, and it's meant to be a community builder, first and foremost, um, bringing both young artists and uh, as well uh, established artists who are really reinvestigating their work um, and their process together for a series of, of both um, professional development pieces, uh, both creatively as well as administratively in this case, um, and especially this year and its second year as well as some performance opportunities. Our performances are Peak Show, which is um, a semi annual, biannual um, showcase that Impulse produces of uh, local works in town. Uh, we throw out a call if you have a show that you're developing or just want to try out a performative idea. Uh, people will apply and then we offer them a chance to present it to an audience for the first time or the second time. Just it can't be done. You get seven minutes on stage and you just show. Uh, and then our second uh, performance is called The Showcase, which features our three residence companies, which uh, the works are Gender is Mine by uh, wonderful poet Rose Cotton. Um, we have two UVic students uh, with their company Broken Down Bus Productions doing a show called To Be Devised. Uh, and then Milton uh, and his collaborator Patrick Blencarn are doing Culture Capital, which they've been developing over the past year, uh, which is a trading card game about Canada's capital. So you get to see excerpts of up to 30 minutes of each of those three works. 
So yeah, in addition to those performance opportunities, there's workshops for the participating artists on everything from grant writing. I think Matthew Payne from SCAM is, is giving a workshop there, as well as the Wonderheads are coming in to do a workshop, uh, probably amazing workshop on mask work. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. And the, the residency program that Andrew mentioned is brand new this year. Uh, it's born from Impulse's own participation, actually, in, I think it was Intrepid Theater's former Petri Dish program. Um, Andrew wanted to offer a mentorship opportunity to young artists, and so Impulse did a call for residency applications this summer, um, looking mostly for interdisciplinary work, that's really Impulse's forte, that they could help foster with some dedicated studio time. Interdisciplinary work is really important to me because it's been my entire practice. Um, I went to UVic, I did theater, but midway through I discovered contemporary dance ideologies and started doing nonverbal work as my main means of crafting a performance. So I've always been attracted to telling stories theatrically through different mediums. And I thought it was really, the inspiring companies for me were always Snafu Dance Theater when they were doing Pretty Little Instincts. That work is always, was a huge catalyst for me. And then Vaudeville and how they have always mashed things together in a very pleasurable way. So those kind, I wanted to start creating opportunities to create that work from the beginning. And so, as well as connected to the what I was really attracted to in the greater Canadian theater ecology. So for Andrew, PeakFest brings together a lot of the dreams he's had for a really inclusive and collaborative community for Victoria-based performers. And the new bits and pieces he's brought to life this year are focused on really fostering creating that support network for arts workers. And ultimately that'll that'll hopefully make it more possible for even more uh, arts workers to stay and live and work and create in Victoria. It's what I wanted when I was entering it, this opportunity to come together. And um, because I felt very isolated as a creator, I had mentors and I had some core collaborators that I would always work with, but I never got to really come together and crash my ideas with different disciplines or different people. I think there's a lot of room for supporting each other in Victoria and the festival does that through workshops, bringing people together to just talk about their art and their um, administrative practices and to kind of identify hopefully what um, how they can live in Victoria because I think that's a really important dialogue for young emerging arts workers is why would you stay in Victoria um, most of my cohort from Muvic left immediately and I've had another more um, selfish reason but that's not actually selfish is I want to start creating artists that I can employ regularly or can support through impulse our production as we grow as a company we have more opportunities and I would like to have a community of artists that I can employ that I don't have to bring from Vancouver and have that intimacy so that's something we've talked a little bit before in, in earlier episodes, that choice that artists make to stay in the relatively small market that Victoria is, right? And so Andrew's actually exploring that in his own solo work right now. As a creator, like, I think Victoria is really potent. There's something really special about it. And I've always been on the West Coast. I grew up on Salt Spring Island. I moved here. I never left. So islands are such an important part of my soul <laughs> that I think there's something incredibly valuable. And the artists that have stayed are very strong. They're an inspiration. And I always felt that just because I'm in Victoria doesn't mean I can't connect to a national theater ecology. 
largely I stayed because of the support networks I had already found. There's a little like there's a little bit of shyness around the idea of leaving that kept me here, but I've had the chance to leave and I know that there's something really special for me here that I want other people to share in. Uh, so Andrew had mentioned the idea of the workshops. Who can go to these workshops? Is it just people who register in the festival themselves or is it wide open? It's wide open to Victoria-based artists um, and art administrators um, across the board, interdisciplinary, any um, any practice. And then actually this year also new, in addition to the residency program, is this access program where they found funding um, and are providing funding for four uh, arts workers who identify as queer, trans, indigenous, or, or people of color to just make it even more accessible and open and, and not have that barrier of cost for the workshops for, for artists. So, Do you know if all the workshop slots are filled or is there still some space? I think there's still some space oh, for great. sure. So you can log on to Impulse Theatre's website and, and um, check out what may or may not be interesting to you. You can do one, you can do all three, um, and then hit the performances uh, on November 23rd and 24th at the Intrepid Theatre Club. Um, and that those that work actually includes new stuff from Holly Brinkman, mm. from Jess Amy Sheed, and from Collectivist Theatre, which was the production team behind this year's Pick of the Fringe winner, The Fitting Room. So should be a really great lineup at the Peak Fest show on the 23rd. And then, as Andrew mentioned, those longer 30-minute pieces of the showcase, the Saturday night uh, showcase performance on the 24th. Great. Well, The Fitting Room was excellent. It was also one of my fringe picks this year as well. Uh, it's a fantastic show, so I'll be curious to see what else they've come up with. Holly Brinkman's been around town for ages. Um, I didn't know the other two people. Yeah. Jess Amy Sheed's done some, um, a lot of, I don't know if she's written much yet, but done a lot of work with um, the Globe Theatre, with that she's been in some Belfry productions, oh. uh, and I think is, is new to the playwriting side of things, so I'm curious to see, see what she comes up with. Yeah, excellent. I like the fact that Victoria is still a home for the creation of new works. Uh, we have a long history of that here in town, and I like the fact that's continuing to develop. Great. Well, thanks for that. And yeah, great opportunity to see some brand new stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, so I think we've all been out and about uh, the last couple of weeks seeing shows and bits of things that are not, you know, long running plays or, or uh, things. But they're worth talking about because there's some amazing stuff going on in town. Um, I checked out some art stuff that's happening. Uh, Shubanai Asuna, uh, Cape Dorset artist, Inuit artist at Madrona Gallery. Um, amazing drawings that are... Um, you know, drawing is not one of the big mediums in art that you hear about mm -hmm. a lot. It's always painting, sculpture, but these just give such a different perspective. Uh, not just from the artist's life in Cape Dorset, but they're actually the actual perspective of the drawings are really interesting. Uh, a lot of kids and just different looking at sort of um, colonization and different sort of gender roles. And I, you know, I it's amazing. And I, I definitely um, would say anyone should go down and check it out. And it's just a reminder that when you're downtown, there are a ton of art galleries mm, so and many. there's always shows that are changing and sometimes they're on for a few weeks or for longer periods and it's so worth it to just get out of your routine, your shopping routine and just cruise around. Mm -hmm. um, also this weekend was makeshift uh, textile shows uh, started and I went to the atrium and saw some really interesting films and 
um, textile um, pieces that were, I think they're gone now, but there's other things around town. So that's a good one to check out. You can see the lineup on Facebook. Yeah, 5050. Uh, Hollis mm-hmm. Roberts is at 5050 with her textile show. Uh, Libby Oliver uh, is at Exchanges. Uh, okay, Leah McKinnis is at uh, Ministry Casual Living. I think those are all running for at least a couple of weeks, if not the rest of the month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots out and about town. Mm-hmm. What else? Who went to uh, Phantom Signal? I did. It was great. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, it was uh, so for the uninitiated, Phantom Signal is kind of a serial. Uh, spooky radio hour that they do in Vancouver. It's um, Jason McDonald, Tara Travis, and Andrew Bailey, and they've been doing it, I think he, uh, they said four seasons in Vancouver. It was the first time they brought it to Victoria. And so the format is the three of them are on stage, and they start with, uh, and Wes Borg joined them to do some musical accompaniment. He was on piano. So they they start out with like kind of a like pre-show where they do like little fake ads for products and like tiny short little skits and they're all kind of like creepy but funny and uh and then they have an intermission and then they get into the feature which is like a longer form and they're up there with their podiums reading their scripts and they've got some fun little foley things that they do and uh I felt like it took a little while to just kind of I think it took at least for me like a little while to just kind of get into the atmosphere that they had obviously cultivated like there's a real vibe to all the pieces um and it took a bit to get there but uh i really loved especially a couple of the fake ads were really funny and the the feature story was uh, was quite good it was about this uh family that buys an obviously haunted house and the ghost just turns out to be this uh, guy who died like 20 years before who's just kind of an asshole and like it's <laughs> and yeah and then it you know kind of wraps up in this like weird endearing little story and uh, I, I was struck uh, watching it, thinking about how many times I've heard Jason McDonald make a door opening sound on the show. It is a classic Jason McDonald move. And there are a lot. Of, there were a lot of this, and I was just funny. like, "Oh, it was funny. It was great. Uh, it was their first time in Victoria. The show wasn't totally sold out, but I mean, it was such a busy weekend at the mm-hmm. Metro. Like there sure. were." Like Thursday, Friday, I don't know. Wonderheads, yeah. Dick Grimm and Fisher yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. And, and then that was Friday. And then um, uh, Kevin McDonald was on Sunday, which I was also at. So, yeah, uh, I hope they come back. Uh, it'd be cool to get them to come back on a pretty regular basis. Mm-hmm. and Because they obviously have a lot of material now that most people in Victoria haven't seen. Like, they've got four years worth of stuff. And uh, yeah, it was it was great. And then yeah, Kevin McDonald was uh, an interesting show. And he was working yeah. with Paper Street. Yeah. So Kevin McDonald, if for the uninitiated, he was one of the uh, members of Kids in the Hall. Uh, and so he came to town to teach a two day sketch writing workshop with some folks in town. And then at the, this was like the culmination of that. So I think there were like tw- he said twenty seven people that had participated. Um, so the show started out with him doing a bit of stand-up at the beginning, and then he, uh, there were five sketches. They'd just been written and done that day, so obviously like not super polished, but there was some pretty funny stuff in there. And then they took a break, and then they did some improv scenes with they kind of there was obviously and like people who you'd recognize like Morgan Cranny and mm. Chris Gable and Nicole Malcolm. And a couple, a couple other really excellent performers who I, I don't know who they are and hadn't seen them in anything, but they were really 
uh, there's one, one woman in particular who was really good. So they kind of picked like some, obviously the more experienced people to do the, um, uh, improv. So, and then Dave Morris joined them for some improv and, uh, Kevin McDonald was in, involved a little bit too. And I felt like the improv was actually the best part of the show. It was mm-hmm. super funny, mm-hmm. oh, but yeah, it was, it was great. It was different and awesome. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It was sold out, totally mm-hmm. sold out. Mm-hmm. So unsurprisingly, so. yeah. What's coming up this week, uh, I'm going to go to the Decolonization in the Arts Forum that's happening on Thursday night, November 15th. Um, that's part of UVic's Building Reconciliation Forum, uh, which is a two-day event, November 15th and 16th. And then Thursday night, uh, the idea of the event is to bring in um, Indigenous arts practitioners and administrators, along with some other people uh, from around town, to just have a discussion, I believe, about uh, decolonization in the arts. So we'll have representatives from the Art Gallery of Greater Victoria there, uh, Pacific Opera, uh, the Belfry, Open Space, Legacy Art Gallery. Uh, it should be a very interesting forum. I'm sure it'll be a long night. Yeah, of some fascinating lots of talk. lots of names on the yeah. on the list. Cool. There's a couple of good literary events coming up this week, um, which I don't get out to as much as I'd like to. On November 17th at Bowling Books, Leanne Moriarty, who wrote Big Little Lies, mm. that awesome mm. HBO is it HBO. Uh, series is going to be in town promoting her new book called nine perfect strangers so and i guess it's her only canadian stop oh, so interesting. yeah i think that'd be interesting so. i inadvertently was at the curtis joseph cujo book signing at bowen books this <laughs> oh, week really? and i couldn't figure out i was there picking up um gifts and there was leaf jerseys everywhere which was also confusing because i think oilers was his was maybe his heyday but <laughs> it was silent but people all in jerseys and and all the um uh staff were absolutely raving about the book apparently cujo oh, yeah. can write write quite the memoir but anyways oh, bolin cool. brings in a really diverse yeah. and interesting yeah. uh, mix of literary events for sure definitely yeah what else is coming up uh scams uh grown-ups performing plays the kids wrote is back uh, for the second time that Saturday at the Metro so mm-hmm. uh, it looks like a lot of fun mm-hmm. and they're doing like a like it's a it's earlier in the afternoon and so they're having like a picnic-y kind of thing oh, I think oh. they're having food that you can pre-order for some food I'm not sure if the deadline for that's passed but it sounds like a good way to make it more welcoming of kids being in the audience and yeah definitely have snacks yeah yeah for sure so these are new plays that kids have written these aren't plays that established playwrights wrote as kids no no it's new plays that local kids uh have written cute yeah Mm -hmm. so it's uh the premises sound pretty fun so also this week uh confabulation has their latest installment on thursday night the theme this month is food for thought um which can take off in many many directions they're saying acquired tastes and minced words or something like that it's six original stories um from from amateur storytellers that get some um coaching some great coaching from the the producers of confabulation um and it's always a real um mix of perspectives and and um humor and and um some of the more kind of sobering tales and and whatnot and that's this thursday night at the victoria event center at 7 30 um and it they were turning away people at seven like half an hour before the show started mm-hmm. last time so mm-hmm. it's it's popular if you want to get there get there early and dance victoria's big oh, season yeah. opener oh, yes. um from montreal dance me speaking of uh people who are talented performers in their 70s leonard cohen right to the end mm-hmm. uh was incredible live and um 
uh, Le Belle Jazz de Montréal has uh, taken his work in, and is telling it in five parts, the five stages of his career. Mm. Apparently it's very ambitious and very, very beautiful and I think pretty close to sold out, if not already. Mm. And that opens their whole season on, on Friday and runs on Saturday in two shows as well. Mm. Great. Yeah. And then the following week, there's a bunch of great stuff opening. Rent with Victoria Operatic Society. Can't wait to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else? Theatre in Canoe is doing their next production, right. Trad, mm-hmm. an Irish play. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. That looks interesting. Yeah. And then it's the local designer craft fair oh, season, yeah. <laughs> which I'll be all over. Mm-hmm. So there's the Owl Designer Fair at Fernwood on the 23rd, Craft Cartel at the Da Vinci Center on the 30th. So lots of local artists and artisans, jewelry makers, potters, everything. I never buy gifts for other people. I just get cool <laughs> stuff <laughs> for myself. So, so yeah, uh, thanks for listening. If you want to get a hold of us, check the program yyj at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, check the program. Uh, thanks to Croatia for our theme music. And uh, yeah, thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Amanda Farrell Lowe. I'm John Thropal. I'm Sarah Petrescu. I'm Melanie Trump Hooper. And don't forget to check, check, check the, the program. program.